What Greg and I knew and really spent a lot of time on was consumer psychology. What were parents really going to want and how are we going to build trust and validation as a new brand in this space? So every moment we spent planning for the launch was about, does this build trust? Does this build validation? How new parents shop for their babies is unlike how anyone shops for anything else. I know I've been there. You're anxious, you're thinking about all the things your baby will need, but you're also thinking in stages of what you'll need three months from now, five months from now, when your baby is in a completely different time of their life. It's overwhelming and the brands in the baby market are mostly just selling products and not selling an overall better experience as a parent. Lalo is one of those unique brands that is putting the parent's experience first. And that strategy has helped the company quickly grow into a favorite brand among moms and dads everywhere. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I chatted with Michael Weeder, the co-founder of Lalo, about what it was like to create a new kind of shopping experience for parents and how a little bit of light stalking went a long way to help Lalo figure out exactly what parents want and what they needed. Yes, I said stalking. We talked about what it takes to bring a product to market with organic and authentic connections with influencers and consumers alike. And we got deep in the weeds of what strategies Lalo used to communicate with current and potential customers in order to improve not just the products, but the entire experience of buying products for your kiddos. Plus, we talked a bit about how Lalo has approached fundraising, which is a little bit controversial these days. Enjoy. quick, I want to say thank you, thank you for our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show, and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Michael Weeder, who serves as a co-founder, president, and CMO at Lalo. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have you. So I want to go through your background a bit because I saw that you've been a two-time former founder, interested in business, building companies, and want to kind of start there around, you know, where did that interest come from? My entrepreneurial spirit, I think, was always there. I started my first business in college. And the intention for starting my first business was not to be an entrepreneur and start a company. It was really to take my career path into my own hands. And I had this dream to become a sports agent. And I thought the best way to get experience was just to start 
managing talent. And I started managing musicians while I was in college, producing events, buying talent for Skype for South by Southwest. I really got myself immersed into the entertainment world that way. Ultimately did land my job as a sports agent. But at the end of the day, that entrepreneurial itch, it wasn't the reason I started my first company, but it was something that kept bubbling up as I got away from it. And that's what brought me back to entrepreneurship in general. Started, left being a sports agent and started my first company in the tech and startup world after that. It was a, a fitness tech startup that I bootstrapped um, and did that for, for a little bit before shutting it down. And that led me to my next role, which was an early stage employee at a, at a high growth tech startup. And that's where I met my co-founder for Lalo Greg. He was the fourth employee there and I was the fifth employee. And our, C, our CEO at that company said to Greg, when she hired me, I just hired your best friend. What she didn't know is that she hired his future co-founder. Um, and then Aww. that led us, we both, um, I, I left great. that job and he left, he had moved on to be a VP of sales at Artsy and we relinked back up and started Lalo and got right back to our, our entrepreneurial roots again. I love that story because, you know, you had to shut down a previous company and then, you know, went and worked full time somewhere else. And then you were like, okay, I'm going to try it again. Was there any resistance that kind of like popped up? Because to me, I'm thinking about, okay, if I had actually shut down one of my babies to then get back into that world again and take another risk. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I think you, of course, learn a lot from, from your failures. And that first business that I shut down, I learned a lot about hustle about scrappiness, about getting the job done, and ultimately about the learning curve entrepreneurs and founders have. Going into that next company as the fifth employee, I treated every day like I was the founder and CEO of that, that company, um, maybe to a fault, but that's, that's just who I am, right? So getting back to it, it was, it was never a question of if, it was always a question of when. And that's even when I gave my notice to our CEO, Liz, at that time, that's exactly what she said. She knew exactly like this was a, a when, not an if I was going to go start my own thing. And so I never had a hesitation about doing it again. Yeah. Once you know what you can do and can get and what that's like, it's hard to go and work for someone else. So tell me a bit about, you know, what is Lalo and what was the inspiration behind that? You've got your new bestie, you guys become co-founders. Like, did you already have the idea or what did that look like? Yeah. So it, when it started, Greg, Greg and I were just catching up as old you know, coworkers and friends. And Greg, he said to me, you know, I, I'm seeing all my friends and family, they're, they're having kids and this is crazy. Like the amount of things they're buying, they don't know what they're spending, what they're doing, what they need, when they need it. It's like, are you seeing this with your friends? And are you and your wife trying? Like, are you having babies soon? And I was like, actually, we are trying. Thanks for asking. And yes, I do think this is absolutely crazy. You don't shop for anything like this. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And like, I, he didn't, I don't even know if he had said, I think there's a business opportunity here. He was kind of alluding to it and I knew what he was getting at. We just jumped in from there. And the first step was to survey parents because neither of us were at the time. Mm -hmm. We're both now dads. And at that time, we really sunk our teeth into the customer and what they want, what they needed, what their desires were, how they shop today, how they should shop in the future. And that led us to, to creating Lalo. So it was definitely a, a couple month exploration process of the market and the consumer before diving into what are we going to make and what are we going to sell? But that led us to Lalo. And you know, what, what Lalo is, is you know, we, we make baby products that parents are proud to own. You know, and if the baby industry and baby products in general got so known for ugly neon green things, yep. and there's no reason for that. Um, but more importantly, parents deserve a brand that actually cares. And that's what we built with Lalo. Yeah. I was looking at your website and, you know, I definitely have been in the camp of, I've 
three boys under the age of four and like looking at the products that you can get for toddlers. It's like everything is so colorful. You have to essentially just have a kid's room that you can like close up. And what I love about your guys' products is like, oh, that's actually cute. And that would match my living room. It wouldn't look, you know, like some rainbow burst coming out of nowhere. I mean, is that the feedback that you got in the surveys when you were trying to figure out like, okay, how do parents want to shop and what's going wrong here? Or is that something that you discovered maybe after launching the company? We definitely saw that as white space in the in the market, um, the ability to make things look better at a better price. Mm-hmm. However, big white space, the big opportunity really revolved around how were customers being treated, consumers being treated by the brands they were buying mm-hmm. every day for their kids. And what we uncovered through parents is that so many brands in the space make a single product that they market to parents and it's so product focused and it's product, 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 product. We're going to tell you about this thing that's going to be really terrible in your life if you don't buy our product. Mm-hmm. Instead of this super exciting moment in your life, you're a parent, your kid is growing every day. There's milestones, you know, so often the only you know, constant is change. And those are moments to celebrate. So what if we flip that on its head and said, Lalo's here to celebrate with you, to be there along every milestone, instead of telling you that you're never going to sleep if you don't buy our product. Yep. I'm thinking about like the DACA talk things where they're like, <laughs> your baby can't sleep unless you have this. I'm like, mm, I did just fine. He's in the old school yeah. method. And it's an extremely anxiety provoking time in your life. You're doing something brand new for first time parents. Mm-hmm. And you have no expectation and the no expectations definitely spills over into the shopping experience, right? If you're going out and buying a mattress, you've hopefully slept on a mattress before and you have an expectation of, do you like firm or soft or, you know, queen or king or twin or whatever you want to sleep in, right? When you go out and buy a high chair, you have no idea. You've never, like, you don't remember being a babysitting in a high chair, And the the technology and the designs and everything are totally different. So the question now becomes, what do I need? And the brands of yesterday weren't set up to really support customers in that journey. I love that. So when you were starting to roll out products in the very early days, I mean, what did that look like? Because right now what I'm seeing is you guys, you know, building up crazy wait lists. People want your products. seems like you have a lot of inbound, but I want to hear kind of before you got here, what did it look like when you're like, here's our, you know, first product, like, how did you drum up customers in those early days? We worked really hard to build our first products. And our first product was a stroller that we no longer sell. You know, our focus right now is really building the best products in the home. And our mm-hmm. second product was, was our high chair. But we were developing those products at the exact same time. And it really started with finding great people that knew the world of building products and, and designing and engineering products, compliance folks, everybody that would make sure we can have the highest quality, safest products for our customer. But what Greg and I knew and really spent a lot of time on was the consumer psychology. What were parents really going to want and, and how are we going to build trust and validation as a new brand in this space? So every moment we spent planning for the launch was about, does this build trust? Does this build validation? Which put extreme pressure on press and PR, mm-hmm. pressure on influencer and puts pressure on referral, right? Getting people to spread the word. So we spent a lot of time in the early days doing that. And we launched on March 13, 2019. And I'm probably the only person that remembers this because it was extremely scarring, but Instagram crashed that day for the entire world and it was completely down. So we get to our launch day press hitting and Instagram wasn't working. So all of our influencer had to wait all, you know, everything that we had planned for 
but it was all organic. It was mm -hmm. all, we didn't pay any influencers. We just found people that we knew would love the brand mm -hmm. and introduced them to what we were doing. And they fell in love and, you know, and then helped us spread the word. What were some maybe tips and tricks back then that you were kind of leaning into around like organic influencers and things like that, like that you're maybe still utilizing today that you're still finding success with? Yeah. My, my line on influencer, cause I do think this is a competitive advantage for Lalo is that influencers are people, they're not a marketing channel. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think my time working with talent as a music manager and a sports agent helped me understand their, their psychology, what would make them tick and want to represent a brand basically free of charge, mm -hmm. right? Go out there in the world and tell someone that I'm using this, or I love this product. So that started with really just creating one-on-one -on -one connections. So I would get on the phone. I would talk to them, you know, as a founder, I'd make myself vulnerable to the conversation. But what we'd also do is we'd allow them to essentially shop our website. So instead of just blasting people and sending them free product, we made sure people really wanted the product mm -hmm. because as an early stage company, especially our products, they're not cheap to make, they're not cheap to ship. And we believe in sustainability and we didn't want to just ship wasteful product. If we were unsure a celebrity or an influencer would actually use the product, we would send them a shipping label that said, if you don't want this product or you decide you don't need it, here's the shipping label and you can donate it to this organization um, yeah, cool. called Good Plus Foundation. So they could immediately ship it to be donated if they weren't going to use it. Yeah. And if they did use it, we would donate one in their name. So that was really, really helpful early on because there was no risk. Mm -hmm. There was no risk. And we got people to just organically love what we were doing at Lala. That's great. How do you go about finding good talent? I mean, to me, it's in your blood to find good talent because that was your background and you know what to look for. But for a new brand trying to find some good organic influencers out there, like how would you advise them to go and find their people, people who are going to do a really good job spreading the word and have, you know, a pretty good impact. And it's not a crazy, you know, huge influencer. It's someone who's like perfect for what they're trying to do. Like, how do you spot yeah. that talent? So first starts with really understanding your core user persona, your core consumer persona, and then thinking about that person as a person and understanding what their lifestyle looks like. Now find, break those lifestyles down into a pillar, you know, so whether that's wellness or music or whatever it may be, what, you know, these different pillars that influencers live within and find those people that really, really speak to your audience so that you find that one as close to a one-to-one -one match as possible, because you might have someone that has millions and millions of followers, but those millions of followers might be a bunch of 12 year old boys, mm -hmm. you know, find that mom that's really speaking to moms or speak, find that dad that's really speaking to dads instead of just find that person who's a parent. That's what, you know, yeah. our focus was, or find that person that's going to build the most trust and validation for your brand. And are you like looking through hashtags, looking through, like, how do you, I'm trying to think, cause a lot of times you're not going to easily find someone, you know, who has maybe 20,000 followers or something. They definitely won't, they won't be the first that comes up and I'm looking around, you know? Yeah. I feel like there's a bit of digging that I don't really know how, you know, how to do it efficiently. Yeah. So you want me to spill my secrets here? Please. Um, That's why you're here, Michael. <laughs> so I think there's, there certainly are hacks like that. Look through, look through those posts and they all fall. A lot of people follow each other. So mm -hmm. look at people's followers. But what happens when you find really good people, the other good people see it. And we would, we end up with dozens of inbound requests from influencers. Got it and want to be influencers that yeah. want our product. Um, and our product adds value in life because people need these things. This isn't just another t-shirt that someone could wear. And this is a product they need for their kid. So we get a ton of inbound from, you know, we, we get inbound from A-list celebrities wanting the product 
all the way down to your nano influencers. So that's been really helpful. And that honestly cuts out a lot of the work for our team. Got it. Okay. So once you find your core people in the beginning, then it will start working for you. Yeah. If you, if you create something people love that like it's going to come, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are going to want to seek you out, but if it's not, you need to go out there and find the few people that are going to help you burst through the door. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know, you know, you have a lot of marketing in your background and I want to hear how you think about messaging this product that showcases, you know, the value and the sustainability and, you know, how good the products actually are. Like, how did you think about putting that on your website and putting it on Instagram in a way that instantly connected? Like, yep, it might be maybe slightly higher price than what you're going to get on Amazon or whatever it might be, but here's why it's, you know, actually worth what you're about to pay. Like, how did you think about that messaging? So number one, in terms of voice and how we talk to our customer, the number one thing we think about is realness. Is this how I would want to be spoken to if I was a consumer? Is this how I'd want to hear from a friend or a brand? That's kind of like the baseline check we do. But in terms of communicating value to a customer to make sure that you know we're increasing conversion rate and getting people to buy our products, we break it down into benefits. So we work through a framework that one of our advisors introduced us to that focuses on technical, functional, and emotional benefits, right? The technical benefits are how is this thing made? What is it made of? The functional benefits, how does it work? And then the emotional benefits of how does it make me feel? By breaking it down like that, that ends up being really, really clear messaging pillars and value that you can communicate to your customer. Got it. I love that. Okay. And what about retention for a, you know, a higher value product? After someone buys you know, a high chair, it's probably the only thing they maybe want to buy for that year or something like they don't have out. I don't think many parents, at least not myself, think in stages of like, okay, next I'll need this, 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 and this. You kind of have to buy it when you want it. How do you kind of, you know, retain a customer and, you know, keep that order value high enough and bring them back in a way that makes sense, you know, for them and the stage that they're at, they're in, which you would already probably know based off what they're buying. Like if they're buying this thing, it's probably in, you know, zero to six months. If they're here, it's six to 12. Like, how do you think about you know staying in touch with them throughout that entire process? Yeah, so for us, it's there's a complicating factor in our buying experience is that the end user is not always the purchaser mm-hmm. because there's a lot of gifting in our space, yep. baby showers and registries and things like that. So it also obviously starts with data, right? Making your data more powerful. And I think this my time spent in tech kind of opened my eyes a lot to the power of data and how to leverage data and build good systems around it. Because the hardest part about data is getting the data. Once you have it, you can manipulate it and use it yeah. for your benefit. So for us, you know, segmenting our customers as strongly possible is really important. That realness and communication with the customer pays dividends, right? So for us, especially when there's a, you know, if there's ever a, an issue or complaint, the way we treat our customers is that's your best retention tool, right? If you make people feel special um, from the onset, that goes, goes a long way. And ultimately that leads to referral too, right? So part of, we think of referral as part of retention because in our space, word of mouth is such a driver of growth. Um, It's, you know, it's obviously important to every business, but in the baby space, given that you're starting from nothing, when we talk to our customers, usually the place they start is with a friend or family member. What do I need? Like who's the person, the stage ahead? We know how important that is and doing little things that are not scalable go a long way. Another advisor, a guy named Will Godara, who is the owner of 11 Madison Park. So he's a hospitality guy, ran the number one restaurant in the world. We were chatting with him early on and he said, you have to make every, every one of your initial customers feel really special. And that doesn't start by sending them a piece of branded swag because 
telling someone to be your walking billboard is not special. So what we would do is we'd actually like almost stalk our customers online to learn about them and what they loved. And if there was a high value customer, someone early on that we wanted to treat really well, we would research. And there's one that comes to mind of a woman who bought all our products early on. And we found out that she volunteered at dog shelters. She owned a few dogs. We sent her you know, a bunch of awesome accessories from a, a friend brand of ours, Wild One, for her dogs. We sent her uh, a trial subscription to the farmer's dog, another friend brand of ours, and made a donation to uh, a dog shelter. And going out of our way to give her something really personal, we know, we know for sure that she would tell people about that. We replayed that kind of surprise and delight over and over again with a lot of our initial customers. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Okay, one, how did you know who to stalk? Because I'm thinking like, okay, if you've got a, you know, Deborah Walker, there's probably millions of them. So how did you go about actually finding them to then find those details? Because, you know, I'm even thinking about, we try and tag guests on LinkedIn and we can barely even find them sometimes. There's so many names. So yeah, how did you find the right people? We always have people shipping addresses. So that's helpful. Okay. So if we know yeah, yeah. they live in California, we, ha- we have a few other pieces of information. We also know that they are expecting a child or have a child, mm-hmm. right? And there's obvious w- there's ways to tell that um, in a lot of cases. So if we can find their Instagram and it's public, yeah. we could do something. So there, of course, there were people that were private and we couldn't find. And you know, a lot of times that would mean we couldn't do as something as personal and special. But there are also really simple ways. If someone interacts with our customer experience team, instead of just saying, how can I help you? If you're on the phone with them, you can, you can ask them questions about their life. You know, just get into a normal conversation, treat everybody like a human. Mm-hmm. So acting in that way, we would get a lot of information about how old is their kid or when are they due? What do they like? Where do they live? And we had, a, we have a, we had a showroom at the early days too. So even our customers that would come into the showroom in the early days, it was especially, it was super easy to have that kind yeah. of conversation because it was just friendly. That's cool. So do you still do this today? And if so, you know, how many customers are you trying to make these extra delightful experiences to? We do have a surprise and delight program. We've been reworking it recently. So um, to our customers out there, maybe you'll get something again soon. But we, we try to as, as many people as possible. And for the most part, it's high value customers, repeat customers, people that are, are extremely loyal or people that we have you know, a great interaction with that we know is going, you know, something about them feels like they're going to be a brand evangelist. I love it. That's a really cool way to think about it. I haven't heard of many brands yet treating customers like that or finding very, very like unique moments to kind of celebrate about that customer. And I can see probably a lot of um, social media, you know, spreads from that and then really wanted to share not only with their friends, but also just like tagging you guys. I mean, how much UGC content were you getting when you were doing stuff like that? We get so much UGC content because, I mean, you said you have kids, like your kid is eating a meal and your phone is out because you want to yeah. capture that. You're so cute. Meal. Look at you yeah. eating your corn. <laughs> right. And it, that's happening in our high chair, mm-hmm. right? So that's getting shared nonstop. And there was a thought early on of, our, you know, with our stroller, like, oh, it's out in the wild. People are going to see it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that the high chair 
has so many more public moments than expected because of Instagram. Yeah. People want to capture and share these moments. Yeah. I think I can only think of one stroller that everyone talked about. And it was because of the price tag, that up a baby stroller. It's like, you saw Mm -hmm. it, you knew it. You're like, that thing's like $1,500. And people talked about it just because the absorbent price tag on it. Yeah. (laughs) But other than that, yeah, I don't think too much about strollers. Okay. So when, when thinking about, you know, how you guys have been scaling and growing, I saw a stat that in July, 2021 alone, you matched your entire Q3 2020 revenue and you surpassed all the sales you made in 2019. And so it seems like you guys are growing really well, doing really well. What do you think is, you know, some of the biggest contributors to that right now? Like, what are you doing and seeing the biggest impact on? So I think it really starts with finding great people to be on your team. Mm -hmm. The hardest problem. (laughs) That's the hardest part of being a founder. Everything yes. else, everything else is easy, but really figuring out the right people to hire and and help build your business alongside you because it's impossible for any employee to care as much mm-hmm. as a founder. They can care one degree less, but you have to find people that are motivated to get as close to your level as possible. Mm-hmm. That all starts with finding really good people. And I think that's been a theme throughout this conversation is our human approach at Lalo. So that's the number one thing we look for. Are you a good person? Because if you're a good person, the rest will follow. The skills will follow. So that's number one. Number two is really, really listening to our customer, whether that's about product changes or you know, content that they'd like to see that would you know, help them understand the product better, whatever it might be, or ways that we can you know, create more community around the brand. Listening to our customer drives everything that we do, and that leads to growth. And then we have a lot of grit and humility at our company. When you start a company, there's a lot of ups and downs. And you know, at the start of the pandemic, no one knew what was going to happen. Is our business going to fail because mm-hmm. of the pandemic? Is yeah. it going to take off? We realized very quickly when the pandemic started that we were really well positioned to compete in a digitally driven commerce economy. Because we didn't have to pivot. We just had to keep doing the things that we were already doing. We were already doing video chat calls to explore our product and see what our product was about. We were already, we were already doing all those things. So we didn't have to change. We just had to keep on operating. We, of course, needed to get inventory mm-hmm. to, to help scale. But we really just bared down and trusted our gut more than anything. That's great. I mean, are there any new things that you're doing right now that you feel like are a little bit ahead of you know, other commerce brands in the market right now? Because I'm thinking about, you know, like you said, the video chat to be able to explore products. That's pretty new. The fact that you guys were doing that, you know, when you were. So what kind of things are you ahead on the game of now? Yeah. So we had a showroom from launch. So the way we think about physical retail is definitely different. And I think we're, we're thinking through a lot of what that means for us in the future. And then the number one thing we say within our marketing team is we write playbooks. We don't follow them. So we're always thinking about, even if we see another brand doing something, we think it's really cool. We, ha- we always ask ourselves, is this right for us? Mm-hmm. Or how can we change it to be better for our business and our customer? Because we have such a nuanced business and customer. There's a very you know, specific buying window and a specific way to you know, talk to our customer. You know, it goes back to that mattress conversation before. Um, it's not every day you can buy a high chair. So what other brands are you watching where you're like, oh, is this playbook similar? Like who are some inspirational folks that maybe we should be following as well? I mean, we have a lot of great friends in the space that we talk to and share insights with. I think Caraway is, is definitely one. That we're on the we're, show. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Greg and I are both close with Jordan over there and, and talk to him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Ollie pop is another one that, you know, I think for any, also anybody on Twitter, Eli Weiss is the way he thinks about CX is very in line with how we do from a human centric approach. Um, and what they're doing there from a marketing and creative perspective is also really, really interesting. I, I think another cookware brand, our place does a really good job from a, from a creative lens. And I think they're doing a really, really awesome job. House is another one that we look to. I love that you're naming all brands that have either been on the show, like House. Uh, yeah, Nick's been on the show. Olipop's coming on the show next week. Awesome. How, yeah, House is like one of our first, I think, 10 episodes. She's awesome. So we like the same people. Maybe we can be friends too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'd love that. So I want to talk a little bit about partnerships too. Having these like limited edition products and, you know, forming partnerships. I think you did a humidifier set that you did a partnership on. And I want to hear how you go about exploring those and knowing which ones are a good fit and maybe which ones aren't. So it goes to knowing your customer. Um, We talk a lot about partnerships and it really comes down to energy, effort, and return. Mm -hmm. So with Canopy, with the humidifier, it was such a clear partnership. We knew the team over there. We've known them for a long time. And humidifiers are one of the top things registered for on a, on a baby registry. And almost every parent puts one in a nursery because it helps for better sleep, better breathing. Yeah. When they're sick, keeps them from getting sick. Yeah. So it helps them, you know, breathe better, makes their skin better, everything. So it was such a natural, a natural collaboration. Greg and I had been using the product since it launched in our baby's nurseries. Mm -hmm. So we knew there was something to do there and we developed our aroma kit with them to have these natural essential oils that you can use on the diffusing to encourage better, better sleep and better breathing. And there's definitely, there's definitely other partnerships that, that we look to, but ultimately, you know, what is our, what do we think our customer would want to see from us? What does their audience have? And really, can you tap into a new audience mm-hmm. with a partner or can you deliver more value to your current audience through a partnership? Yeah. So what kind of uplift did you see, you know, for the humidifier partnership? Like, did you really get access to, you know, a bunch of basically lookalike customers who would for sure probably be your customers as well? And then, you know, how long do you keep that partnership going? So I think I saw as maybe like a limited time product or like, how do you think about the length? If it's working so well, why not keep it forever? Yeah, we're going to keep it for a while with them because it is going well. Um, I think it will definitely last through the end of this year and we'll see what happens um, with it. We saw a ton of lift, you know, the press really ate it up. Influencers ate it up. They loved our two brands coming together because ultimately both of us are focused on creating better performing products that look better in your home. So that was just like a natural fit. Yeah. And, you know, I think we'll find other brands like that to continue to partner with, but we've been, we've been thrilled about that partnership. That's great. Okay. So I want to shift the conversation a bit to something I don't normally talk about, but because you were on Twitter talking about this. I want to dive into it. You were talking about closing your lead round of funding and how that it was beneficial to have a big cap table for you guys. And I wanted you to kind of dive into that a bit because when I think about, you know, the funding environment right now, it feels like there was kind of a pullback in at least like the D2C market for a little while there because it's like, okay, how like can this company really return my fund? If not, you know, maybe I should be betting in some other tech company instead. So what are your thoughts behind, you know, raising money? for a brand right now and you know why to have a big cap table. There are definitely reasons not to have a big cap table too, which I should yeah. have caveated 
in my tweet. Well, I think but, he said it was beneficial to you guys. So that was a good enough caveat. Yes. So it's yeah. been beneficial to us because first of all, a lot of our initial investors were either parents or soon to be grandparents mm-hmm. and people that could help us spread the word. And when you have a large cap table, you have more cheerleaders. You have more people out in the world starting that groundswell of energy around the brand, especially if they sit within your core demographic. Mm-hmm. That's been really helpful to us. Um, and you know, I have to give a big shout out to my co-founder, Greg, because he leads all fundraising for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're both heavily involved in it, but he leads those conversations and relationships. And to have a big cap table, you need to have a lot of conversations. Yep. And usually that means a lot of no's. So you need to have really thick skin. And our, you know, our first tranche of funding came from a lot of different people. And then, you know, as things have gone on and the business has you know, seen some great success to this date, we've been able to add more targeted and strategic partners as well, which brings a whole different value to the business. Yeah. I've always thought about, you know, raising money. I'd rather have people who have a vested interest because they really care about the company, but they also have like, well, let me tap into something that I can't get otherwise because anyone can just go get a loan or money. I mean, maybe not anyone, but there's always money around, but finding someone who can actually like push your business forward and, you know, give you access to things you couldn't have before is like way more beneficial. But yeah, it's always a trade-off, I guess, between how many people are there asking for things from you after the fact. Yeah. I mean, also the the other trade-off is the more investor conversations you have in early stages, you have limited time and resources. For a long time, we were a team of three doing what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And that's time taken away from operating the business too, yep. right? So you want to be able to just run your business and grow your business. And the more time you're spending fundraising, the less time you have to do that, or, you know, you're stretching yourself, you know, you're working all hours of the day and night. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest bets you're making right now? Maybe around, you know, marketing, because, you know, I'll keep going back to that since that's more of your background. Like what are some big campaigns or bets or platforms you're going on right now that you don't really know if it'll pay off, but uh, you're putting some money there. So the biggest bet we'll always continue to make is on creative. Mm-hmm. I think especially with the data privacy updates with iOS, creative will ha- play a bigger and bigger role with less and less data for targeting. Mm-hmm. So you have to let your creative do the work. And the, you know, I th- we think of our creative spend as a function of our paid media spend for that reason. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we're we're investing a lot in product development to expand our catalog because it's very clear that our customers want more from us. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of new things in the works and definitely keep your eyes out at the top of the new year for, for uh, some exciting new things. And we're investing in our team. You know, that goes back to what I said before. Those are the biggest investments. We, you know, we're still a, somewhat of a lean, small team, get doing a lot with, with a little. Mm-hmm. And you know, to, to hit the goals that we have for 22 and 23, we definitely need to to grow our team with some more great team members. So from the product standpoint, how many new products are you guys planning on rolling out? And what does that look like when you're thinking about, you know, developing new products? Like I'm sure you get a lot of customer feedback, like you were saying earlier. I'm sure some of it can maybe be all over the place because, you know, as a new parent, people probably feel like they need everything until you become a parent. And then you're like, oh, maybe I only need these like five things to be really good. So yeah. how do you think about uh, using customer feedback, but maybe not letting it take you down the wrong path? Yeah. So we, we opened up something called the Lalo Fam Advisory Council. And that was an application process that we opened up to our customers to apply to be on this, this council, to be selected to be on this advisory council. And within 24 hours, we got almost a thousand applications for that council. Wow. 
Yeah. And the application was, what do you love about Lalo? What would you like to see Lalo improve? And what are the products that you'd like to see us make? And on that survey, those, those people answered over 95 individual baby products. What was the craziest one where you're like, that's just weird. We're not doing that. Everybody wants us to make a car seat. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so many car seats out yeah, there already. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. And we don't need to do crash testing. Um, oh yeah. That's yeah. we're we're good. We're good on that. <laughs> First of all, those survey results were extremely, extremely helpful mm-hmm. uh, in understanding what does our customer want to see from us. And that's, that's where it became really clear. They want to see more from us in the home. Yeah. And from there, we also whittled it down. We were originally going to accept 10 people into the council. We ended up accepting 15 because we had so many good applications. It was even hard to get to 15. And that council is, is really, really helpful to us in bouncing ideas and thoughts around and getting different perspectives because it's made up of uh, a diverse group of, of parents, both moms and dads all over the country. So we get people in different settings um, with different, different socioeconomic statuses from different home setups, apartments and houses and everything in between. So that gives us a lot to work with mm-hmm. just from those people. And then we also have an expert advisory council. So these are experts, um, pediatric experts. So pediatricians, occupational therapists, dietitians, educators, developmental psychologists that we talk to as we're developing product. Um, so in the early days of, th- days of thinking we're going to make something, we'll often ask them about what should we consider? What are do's and don'ts. What do parents often, you know, ask pediatricians, like, what are the questions you get about this stage, this milestone stage, and how can we solve it? And then we also think about how can we make product extend from one stage to the next, Mm -hmm. because there's so many products that you use for a finite period of time, and then it's in the trash or tucked in your garage or wherever. Looking around being like, that was a good two month long stint for that product. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, for us, if we can extend your life, like our high chair becomes a little play chair after, you know, if, if you buy a cheaper high chair and then you amortize that cost over its use, it's actually more expensive than our more, maybe, you know, more expensive high chair. Our high chair might be 30% more expensive than that other one, but you're actually getting, you know, on a daily basis, you may pay nine cents a day for ours versus 30 cents a day for theirs. I'm going to look at my high chair. So, so much differently now. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I know how much I'm paying for you a day, but then yeah, you're yeah. moving up to maybe a little chair that attaches to the table and a little booster seat and exactly. Yeah. A lot of steps in between. I mean, it, it seems like your advisory councils could be your recruiting funnel. All your people are there. <laughs> it is, yeah, it, it, it does help. We do put our open roles out on there and actually our customer experience team is led by an incredible woman who, who leads that team, but is also, um, mostly powered by part-time folks all around the country, mostly part-time parents. And multiple of them are customers that became our employees. That's awesome. I love that. All right, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have 30 seconds or less to answer. Are you ready? No, but yes. (laughs) You're so ready. Okay. What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did? Chinese. (laughs) Okay. It's a very difficult thing to understand. So yeah, I've, I just downloaded Duolingo to start learning, Yeah, but uh, yeah, I wish I spoke Chinese. Wow. That'd be a good challenge. If you were to have another podcast outside of the one that you're already doing, what would that be about? <laughs> and then what is your current podcast about as well? Uh, I think it'd be about Michigan sports, University <laughs> okay. of Michigan sports. Um, diehard fan alum. All right. Uh, And our current one is called the dad pod. And we recorded season one and had some great guests ranging from a Super Bowl champion to 
incredible founders, like the founders of the farmer's dog and a kid's book about, and just great group of people that joined us on that podcast. Oh, that's fun. What was maybe the most surprising thing that came from having that podcast? I think some good, just like good relationships and friendships out of it. Um, like Michael Perry, the founder of Maple or, you know, just good, just met some great, great people. Yep. I love that. What's your favorite uh, business book that you think about or refer back to from time to time? Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. So I buy that book for my team. Every team member talks about the power of checklists and how they can, how checklists are used to avoid the most catastrophic incidents, like in surgery or planes and, Mm -hmm. and how they can be extrapolated out to business to, to avoid, you know, catastrophic mistakes in, in business and life. That's good. I'll have to check that one out because I love a good checklist. So, all right. And then the last one, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? So I, I don't know if I have an exact piece of advice, but both of my parents are accountants. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of companies in the news about profitability and running a sustainable business. And I think- yeah. Growing up with two accountant parents has me has us dead set on profitability and and I'm running a really good sustainable business. And I can always trust my dad to hold my feet to the fire on my business decisions. Yep. It's funny you you say that and it sounds like something that's so obvious, but when you look at like all the tech companies over the past like decade, it's like many of them maybe are just now making a profit or are still like probably won't for another 10 years. So I like your style. I'm focused yeah. on profit I mean, as Casper well. Casper <laughs> is now valued less than the amount of money they've raised. So yeah, I think it's case in point. Don't want to be that kind of company. So take Michael's parents' advice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Profitability all the way. All right. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on the show and sharing the behind the scenes at Lalo. Really cool to hear what you guys are up to. Where can uh, our listeners find out more about you and Lalo? So to find more about Lalo, you can head to Instagram at Lalo, L-A-L-O our website, meetlalo.com. And you can always find me on Twitter at mweeder, M-W-I-E-D-E-R. Cool. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.